All right, well, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to conclude our short series this morning on what the Bible says about leadership in the local church, and we're going to do that by looking at the role of the deacon, which Paul outlines here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Father, this is a tricky text and we ask that you would grant us grace as we navigate our way through it today and that we would... Uh, strive to cut your word as accurately as humanly possible, and uh, as we also seek to apply scripture and implement scripture in the life of our church, Lord, that you would just give us wisdom uh, in how we do that. And so would we be pleasing to you and our thoughts and our words and our actions today, and that our church would um, bring you great honor and glory as we reflect as closely as possible uh, your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I realize that this topic um, of church leadership is on the drier side, if you will, and it lends itself to more of a lecture type of format. But I hope you're convinced of how important it is for uh, in the life of our church that we make sure we get this right, that we set up uh, our church leadership structure, our government, if you will, according to the pattern laid out for us in the New Testament. And based on the example of the early church, it's, it's clearly God's intention that the leadership of every local church should consist of two basic offices, that of elders and deacons. The elders, who are described in the original language as either uh, episkopos, presbyteros, or even poimen, uh, words that we have some English um, translations like Episcopal and Presbyterian and uh, pastor. Um, these elders are entrusted with the overall pastoral oversight of the church. The deacons or the diakonos come alongside the elders and assist them in, in meeting some of the physical, material, and financial needs of the church in order to free them up to fulfill their uh, spiritual priorities as shepherds of the flock. And so this morning, we're going to zero in on the deacons um, in the church. And I think we need to start off by just recognizing that the word deacon or diakonos, which means servant or minister or helper, is used hundreds of times uh, throughout the New Testament. And generally speaking, diakonos is the standard term for any kind of service or any kind of servant, anyone who serves. And you can see that in various passages in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, Colossians 4, 7, 2 Timothy 4, 5, and 11. Paul even used his own ministry or used this word diakonos to describe his own ministry 
as an apostle, that he called himself a, a diakonos. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 would just be one example. Um, well, verse uh, 25 is the one I was thinking of. He said, of this church I was made a minister, um, a diakonos, to the stewardship, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. So even though he was an apostle, he referred to himself as a diakonos. And so that, that word is really a general word for servant or minister in the, in the New Testament. But in two places, this term diakonos is used specifically to refer to a group of people who are uniquely gifted and qualified and set apart for special service within the local church. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addressed the letter to the Philippian church with these words. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. And so it's clear that he's talking about those two offices. And then here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, really the only place in the Bible where the official office of deacon is discussed in any kind of detail. This is what we got to go off of right here. This is what we have to go on. And, and, and the focus of this passage is, is not on the role of a deacon as much as it's on the qualification of the deacon. In fact, it really says nothing about the role of the deacon. And, and since their work, whatever they do, is so closely linked with elders and that their delegated authority and responsibility from the elders, I think deacons must be equally qualified as elders with the exception of having to be able to teach. That's the only uh, uh, duty, I guess, that's, even, uh, that's mentioned in either of the lists for elders or deacons is that ability to teach. Um, there in chapter 3, verse 2. So all that to say, consequently, deacons must not just be randomly recruited from the church. Let's just get some hardworking guys, you know, got nothing better to do, right? Let's get get them to be deacons. No, they need to be carefully selected and examined to make sure their life matches up with the qualifications that Paul laid out here uh, in this passage. And notice the word there in verse 8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity. I think the, the likewise uh, is indicating here is a new group of people um, and their qualifications of deacons are essentially identical to those of elders. They, they, in other words, the same high standards apply to the deacons as do the elders. And so let's look at these eight qualifications. And again, some of them we've already covered under the elders. And so we won't take a whole lot of time to talk about those, but we'll just highlight the ones that are, are different. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. So they must be dignified. And that word literally means worthy of respect. In order for a man to be a deacon, their moral and spiritual life must earn the esteem of those around them. They must be well-respected by the rest of the people in the congregation. And I think this particular qualification corresponds with the the apostles' qualification in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, that those who were chosen to provide food for the widows would be men of good reputation. You can look back there and see that. Those weren't actual 
deacons per se. They were kind of the prototypes of the deacons, but I think it was important that, that the apostles said, hey, they have to have a good reputation. So a deacon must act in a dignified manner and be serious-minded, not taking serious matters lightly. You don't want to be that guy that's just always clowning around and, and doesn't know the time and the place to uh, make a joke, but uh, you're, you're just dignified. Secondly, it says they should not be double-tongued, double-tongued. A deacon must always be consistent in what he says. In other words, he doesn't speak out of what? Both sides of his mouth. He can't be one who says one thing to someone and turns around and says something different to someone else. He needs to be honest, trustworthy. He must mean what he says. When he says yes, he means yes, and when he says no, he means no. And he must carefully bridle his tongue, holding it back from any kind of manipulative or insincere or deceitful speech. He's the kind of guy that just shoots straight with people when he talks to them, obviously with love, speaking the truth in love and grace. But uh, I think the bottom line principle here is a man is only as good as his what? As his word. So he's not double-tongued. Number three, he's not addicted to much wine. Again, we covered this with uh, the qualification of, of an elder. A uh, deacon must not abuse alcohol. He must remain sober, self-controlled at all times. And I even suggested last time that those in positions of spiritual leadership should consider the wisdom of perhaps limiting their freedom to do certain things so as not to offend someone or cause anyone to stumble. And I think it's interesting, and you may have noticed this as I have, that it seems nowadays like more and more church leaders are purposely flaunting their freedom in Christ, particularly in the area of drinking, in order to promote grace, and that we're no longer under the law, and uh, we don't want to be viewed as legalistic or sticking them on teetotalers, you know, that don't drink. And so um, it seems almost like that's what, how they're leading these days. And it, in my, from my perspective, that's troubling for a leader. There's other ways to clearly communicate that you believe that we are no longer under the law and that we believe in the grace of God and salvation. Um, Again, Paul, by way of example, said that even though he was free to do certain things, he chose not to do them in order to win as many as possible, right? He became all things to all men in order to win as many as possible. So anyway, I think a, a deacon has to be exemplary in their use of alcohol, whatever they uh, decide personally, Romans 14, right? It's 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 a matter of preference there. Number four, they should not be fond of sordid gain. Uh, Again, we've touched on this already because uh, it said that the elders should not be lovers of money. So essentially, this is the same thing. They must uh, serve with pure, uh, sincere, genuine motives, not looking to get anything but to give. Right? They're not in it for themselves, in other words. They, they shouldn't be seeking glory for themselves. They just, they just want all the glory to go to God. And I think this particularly applies to financial gain, and especially when it comes to deacons who are often given the responsibility for handling the church's funds. Uh, they need to guard against the temptation to embezzle money from the church, It's sad that we even have to say that, Um, but there's a lot of examples in the scriptures of people who use their religious office to pad their own pockets. The Pharisees, Jesus said, were lovers of money. 
And in John chapter 12, John records that Judas was the treasurer of the apostles, right? The disciples. And he was, he was taking some on the side. Um, he was ripping off Jesus, if you will, ripping off the disciples. And he wasn't the last treasurer to betray the Lord for money. So I think it's important that like an elder, a deacon must be free from the love of money. Then you're not, you don't have sticky fingers, if you will, when it comes to counting the offering on Sunday after church. Um, you, you, just, it, you don't love it. You don't want it. You don't need it. You're content in the Lord's provision for you. And then notice verse 9. I think this is good. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now that's a mouthful there. But I think essentially what Paul was saying here is that they, a deacon must be doctrinally and ethically sound. And again, while they don't have to be able to teach, they need to know and love what the Bible teaches. I think that's the mystery here. The mystery is, is really a revealed secret, and, and, and the faith refers to the whole, whole of Christian doctrine. So, so a deacon must wholeheartedly affirm sound doctrine and faithfully strive to live it out in their life. If we say we believe something and, and, and yet don't apply it in our lives, we're guilty of hypocrisy and we violate our conscience. And a clear conscience comes as a result of obeying the truth of God's word that we say we believe. And there's lots about uh, conscience here in the pastoral epistles. Talking about a good conscience, a, a clear conscience, a, a seared conscience. And so in order to maintain a, a, a clear conscience, a deacon's life and doctrine must be kept in perfect harmony. In other words, there should be no inconsistency or gaps between what they say they believe and then how they live their life. They should be doctrinally, doctrinally and ethically sound. And then notice verse 10, and we've already talked about this initially when we presented some candidates for deacon and elder uh, several weeks ago, we referenced this verse, these men, deacons, and I think it also in principle applies to elders, these men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. This is the word dakimazo uh, in the Greek, which was a word used to describe the process of testing a piece of metal to see if it was genuine or not. It was also used in ancient Greek literature uh, to refer to testing a person's credentials before allowing them to serve in, in public office. In other words, they needed to receive uh, that group's stamp of approval, whoever that governing body was. And so Paul applied this analogy to the church and that the character of a potential candidate for the office of deacon, and again, in principle, elder, must be thoroughly examined, carefully scrutinized to determine whether or not they should be approved to serve in that position. And again, the overarching qualification, I think that summarizes all these qualifications, is that he must be found to be, what? Beyond reproach. In other words, that they live their life in such a way that there's nothing that anything, anyone can grab a hold of and bring an accusation against them. Again, they, they are not perfect, okay? We talked about this. This is not perfection. This is direction, um, but there is no obvious defect or sinful blight of any kind that taints his reputation or calls his character into question. Alexander Strzok, who uh, I greatly admire and appreciate for all of his um, diligent work in um, 
providing resources for churches in regards to the subject of church leadership. He's written some excellent books on eldership, some excellent books on being a deacon. Um, And this is what he said, quote, shepherds and deacons hold positions of sacred trust. They direct and care for the family of God. They handle problems, money, and needy people. They have access to people's homes and the most intimate details of their lives. They have access to people who are most vulnerable to deception and abuse. They must then be men of proven integrity. That's the reason why this above reproach thing is so important. He goes on, he says in verse 12, deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and we talked about this uh, in regards to elders, that a deacon must be a faithful husband. I think this is the simplest way to interpret this. They, They must be a faithful husband, their marital life must be exemplary, they must be a model of sexual purity, Um, that's what's wrapped up in this husband of one wife concept. If you weren't here um, two weeks ago, you can listen to the message online, how I um, interpreted that and and tried to apply that practically in the life of our church. And again, another qualification we've already covered, uh, it says that he must be a good manager of their children and their own households. Again, the truest measuring stick of a man's management Ability is not his business. Typically, that's what churches do. They find the successful businessmen and go, oh, he was successful in business. Let's get that guy. He's going to be successful managing the church. Well, the true measuring stick is not his management ability in his business, but in his home. Because a man's true character, I think, comes out in the way that he leads his family. And if a man has a hard time leading his family and caring for the needs of his wife and his children, then he will have a hard time leading and taking care of the needs of the church as a deacon. Leading a church is complicated, and guess what else is complicated? Leading a family. And like I said last week, you can't lead your kids to Christ, but you can lead them as they wrestle with the things of Christ, amen? And it can be helpful to watch a church leader, an elder, or a deacon manage their family when their kids aren't walking with the Lord or, or even walk away from the Lord and learn from how they navigate such a humbling, heartbreaking, and challenging situation. So, there you have it, the eight qualifications for the office of deacon. I got that done in a third of the time as I did the elder qualifications, Right? Granted, there's 15 of those. And so, let's pray. I wish I could say that. Let's just close in prayer. Well, I can't do that because you probably noticed I skipped over a verse, verse 12, or excuse me, verse 11. And uh, it says, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And I would just say this is another verse in these lists of qualifications for leaders that is difficult to interpret. And you have here in the flow of the qualifications for deacons, Paul inserted a statement that has resulted in a lot of debate among Bible scholars. In fact, I was a couple people this week sent me uh, a really good article written by... Um, uh, Alexander Strock, who I already mentioned, who's the pastor of Littleton Bible Chapel up in Colorado, 
uh, really uh, the, the expert, if you will, on elders and deacons. Um, and then uh, Thomas Schreiner, who's the professor of New Testament interpretation at uh, South uh, or Southern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And uh, basically, they put their views side by side. And I thought the article was very instructive, not just to hear both sides of the debate, but to see how they were able to, quote-unquote, agree to disagree in such a charitable way, and to build one another up and encourage one another and appreciate one another for who they were and their view that they took, and uh, it wasn't a, a matter that they felt they needed to divide over. Or, uh, and, and I think more importantly, they knew it wasn't an issue, a hill they, they, they could or should die over, a hill to die on. Um, and the question really is who, who is, who was Paul referring to here, right? That's always our question. What did Paul mean when he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossip, but temperate, faithful in all things, uh, who are these women? Are they deacons' wives or are they women deacons or deaconesses as they're often referred to? And I, again, I would just want to say, go on record saying this, that you cannot, it is impossible to be dogmatic about this interpretation because a legitimate case can be made for both interpretations and both interpretations have their share of problems and questions and unresolved issues. And that's why I think the most important question on your application question sheet that you've got, and some of you hopefully will go over in grow groups this week, is this question. Why is it more important that you learn to hold your interpretation, your conviction about this issue with grace and deference than it is for you to be able to defend your interpretation or position? <laughs> Because at the end of the day, it's not about defending your position because there's, there's other men that have defended their position way better than I'll ever defend my position or they'll ever defend your, or defend your, you'll be able to defend your position. It's not about defending our position. It's simply about learning to hold these uh, convictions and these, these tricky texts, right, uh, with grace and deference. And so hopefully that's the spirit in which I share what I'm about to share. Those who interpret this as deacons' wives, and some of you have the ESV or maybe even a New King James Version, by the way, they made an interpreted decision for you, okay? Um, you say, well, it says deacons' wives. What's the, what's the issue? Well, that's not what the original Greek says, okay? But they made an interpretation when they were translating the text. Um, I appreciate the New American Standard because it just simply says what the Greek says, which is women. Uh, kind of leaves it ambiguous, uh, the way, unfortunately, Paul left it uh, for whatever reason. Um, but those who interpret this as deacons' wives believe that the reason Paul placed special emphasis on the qualifications for deacons' wives is because the nature of the office of deacon is such that their wives just kind of naturally lend a helping hand in the care of the poor and the sick, and consequently, they should have a, the, a respectability that matches their husbands. So he just mentions deacons' wives in here. They also argue, and I think this is a, this is a challenging argument, 
that if this was a separate group of women that Paul was including in the office of deacon or maybe even another category called deaconesses, then surely he would have included some parallel requirement in regards to their marriage and family since that was such a big deal for elders, a big deal for elders and a big deal for deacons. So why wouldn't he say that, right? Um, since it plays such a critical role in who is qualified to be elders and deacons. Now, having said that, I think to me, again, this is, this is where I've landed. It seems that the weight of evidence favors the latter view that these uh, women are to be best understood to be a special group of ladies in, a ch- in, in the church referred to as deaconesses. And there are several reasons why I take this view. First of all is the word likewise. Women must likewise be dignified. And, and it seems like that is the word that's introducing a new separate group, kind of a third class perhaps, or an office, um, like deacons and like elders. The word there for woman, gunekos, is a word that can be translated either women or wife depending on the context. And the context here. Uh, is instruction about deacons, not marriage per se. And so really, in some ways, it's a toss-up, whether it should be translated women or wives. Um, there's only one word for deacon, diakonos. In other words, it's, it's both masculine and feminine. And so the only way that Paul could refer to a woman in verse 11 would be to use the Greek word gynekos, since there's really no feminine form of diakonos. It's like when you say diakonos, it applies to any servant. It's kind of a general um, word, uh, inter- uh, uh, word that, 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 that can be interchangeable, if you will. So I think that's why he actually used the word gunekos, because if he said diakonos, it would have been thinking he's just stuttering, you know, and, and saying and, and deacons again. Um, there's no possessive pronoun. In other words, it doesn't say their wives. It just says wives. Again, thanks a lot, Paul. Uh, for just kind of being vague there. Um, again, this is all under the Spirit of God. We know there's a reason. But I think Paul, if he intended to say that this is the wives of deacons, he could have made it very clear by just saying their wives. Um, the other thing is that I think it's interesting that Paul didn't mention any qualifications about elders' wives. So why would he have qualifications for deacons' wives, especially since you consider the fact that elders hold a more prominent role, if you will, in the life of the, the church, but there's no demands required of their wives, which seems odd to me. Um, again, it makes sense why he didn't mention women in verses 1 through 7, because the duties of elders are for men only. It's a, it's a leadership role, if you will. It's, a, it's an oversight role, and the fact that he mentioned women here in verses 8 through, 8 through 13 uh, shows that they can fulfill the duties of, of, of deacons or deaconesses because they're it's a serving role. Um, again, the qualifications here parallel those of male deacons. Romans 16, 1 and 2, you remember a gal named Phoebe, right? Paul referred to Phoebe as a diakonos, a helper of many. And like those who served as the prototype deacons in Acts 6, Phoebe may not have had been officially appointed to the office of deacon, but Paul thought enough of her to entrust her with a huge responsibility of giving, uh, of delivering his magnum opus to the churches in Rome. She was the one that carried the letter of Romans to them. Uh, he commended her as a valuable, capable member of the body of Christ. And so I'm comfortable interpreting this as deaconesses. 
But if this is the interpretation that I take and that we seek to implement here at Lakeside, I think when it comes to implementing this, we need to keep in mind that whatever role deaconesses serve, it must be understood in light of the rest of the Bible's teaching on the role of women in the church. And so you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, right? Here's the overall context of Scripture, is that God created man first to be the leader and the wife and the, and the woman second to be the helper or the suitable uh, counterpart, if you will. So there's the, the God established the leader-helper relationship from the very beginning, the wider context here in the New Testament would be in Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about men are to be the loving leaders, right? Loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and the wives being the submissive helpers. And so we, we see that in, in the wider context. And then the immediate context, of course, is 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, verses 11 through 13, where it says... Um, Paul says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. He's going back to the uh, original order of creation, men and women equal in their standing before God, but simply created to, to um, fulfill different roles. That's all it is. It's a role. It's not, has, has nothing to do with the inherent who you are, that somehow you're less than a man if you're in that servant role. I mean, again, 1 Corinthians 11, there's authority and submission within the Trinity even. And Christ is exalted as an example of, being, of submitting, the Son submitting to the Father. But no one would ever question that somehow they weren't equal, that they were both equally God, right? That's our doctrine of the Trinity. So it's interesting how all this comes together. Um, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So essentially, a woman shouldn't teach or exercise authority over a man is what Paul was saying. So if a church chooses to have women serve as deaconesses, they need to make sure they're not just put in serving positions or, or they're, that they're not put in serving positions where they are required to exercise authority over a man. Even though, and, and, I, and I guess I would say this on the heels of that, even though women aren't to serve in a leadership role over men, or perhaps even alongside men, they still serve a significant role in the ministry of a local church. I think the ministry of a church, um, or the ministry of women in a local church is vital because there are certain ministries that it's obviously to the church's advantage to have women involved. Um, women are far better equipped and adapted than men to carry out certain tasks, particularly ministering to other women, ministering to children. Uh, we know that from Titus chapter 3, the older women are to train up the younger women. It's not the men's job per se, it's the women's job to, to disciple the younger women. And so there, there are a myriad of practical needs that women can meet and tangible ways that they can serve in, in, in a supporting role, that helper role uh, that God designed them for. And, and so we go back to this text and, and scratch our heads a bit and go, okay, um, why, why was this so vague? Why is this so ambiguous? Um, well, perhaps it was because God, when it came to 
what a deacon does. He wanted to give churches the freedom and the flexibility to utilize deacons and perhaps deaconesses to meet their particular needs in light of their unique culture as a church and their place in history. And, and I've had the privilege of being at different churches throughout my uh, time as a Christian. And I spent, uh, before coming here to Lakeside, I spent 10 years at a mega church. Uh, where there were 40 men on the elder board and there were hundreds, literally hundreds of deacons and deaconesses. And, and how it worked was at the beginning of every year, each elder or pastor provided a list of all the men and women serving under them in the ministry they oversaw, which became the list of deacons and deaconesses that was handed out at the annual meeting. And that was the only time it was ever publicly recognized. In other words, for example, Kyle would say, okay, who's on our student ministry staff? These are all the guys that are serving. These are all the gals who are serving. These are our deacons, deaconesses. These are those ministers, servants, helpers, helping Kyle, the pastor, the elder over that ministry, minister, right, to, to the students. That was the mindset. Um, Again, that was the only time that once a year annual meeting that the deacons and deaconesses were ever publicly recognized, but they were never formally installed by the laying on of hands. They were never regularly met, they never regularly met together to to pray and to plan, except for within the ministry in which they served under the authority of that pastor or elder. And so when I came to Lakeside and we began to talk about what we we, the the elder role was not up for discussion. It was pretty clear how that was going to work itself out. But when it came to figuring out how we're going to implement the deacon role, what what is that going to look like here? Because it seems like the scripture gives you some flexibility in its ambiguity. Um, And so we decided from the beginning that deacons would serve in a more high-profile role. They would be formally installed, and they would regularly meet together in an official capacity, which is different from what I had experienced in the previous church I was at. Um, And because of that, we've never publicly recognized those women in our church who are qualified and who serve as deaconesses. Even though, in my opinion, there's a bunch of deaconesses running around in this church doing a lot of different things. And they're qualified to be deaconesses, according to this list, and they are faithfully serving, helping, assisting, um, in, in, in many ways. But we have just chosen not to officially recognize them because of how we go about this process as we're about to go through uh, with the men in our church. And essentially, I guess you could say it this way, that we've differentiated the office of deaconess from the office of deacon so as not to blur the lines between the roles of men and women in the church. And, and, and I think you would know that's the trying to take the high road there because that, that's gotten really blurry in the church in our day. And while I personally don't think it would be a violation of scripture to have a woman walk down for me to say, hey, we're going to have some men and women come down to the front right now, and they've got a little book in their hands, and women serving as ushers, um, or perhaps even having a, a woman help serve communion uh, up here, you know, I, don't, I couldn't make a case from scripture that that would be a sin or a violation of scripture, but what are we trying to do? We're trying to line ourselves up with scripture as much as possible and say, hey, God has called the men to be in leadership roles in the life of the church. And so let's encourage the men to step it up and be the leaders 
And, 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 and even visually, right, that we want to project that because we think that that honors the Lord. And, and I would even say this, in, in, since deaconesses here are not given a, if we want to call them that, right, according to the view I'm taking, they're not giving, given a separate paragraph of their own, they're just kind of wedged in between requirements for deacons, seems to indicate that these women were not to be regarded even as constituting a third office on par with and even given the same authority as deacons, but they're to serve as the deacons' helpers. In other words, in the same way that elders are assisted and are tasked by the deacons, perhaps the deacons are assisted and are tasked by the deaconesses. And, and by the way, this forced me to go back to um, the, the elder deacon Jedi, Alexander Strzok, right? And, and, and kind of restudy this. And it's interesting, I didn't even realize this, um, but he reminded me that there are actually not just two views, there's actually five views. Okay? You know what the five views are? This could all be all Christian women in general. Women. He's just talking about women in general. Just kind of thought he'd throw in a few thoughts. Hey, ladies, just so you're listening here. I know this is a list about guys, but I haven't forgot about you. It's all women in the church. Number two, it could be women deacons, co-equals with male deacons, sitting around in a room together, right? Solving the church's its practical issues, you know. Uh, or it could be thirdly deaconesses, which is a third separate office, um, the fourth one is women helpers or assistants to deacons. In other words, we don't even give them a title or an office. And then lastly, it could be deacons' wives. Um, and so I, I guess I had to come to the conclusion that I'm somewhere between three and four. I've got a, a morphed kind of view uh, that somewhere in between deaconesses and women's helpers or assistants to the deacons is kind of where I land. I guess I'm sitting on the fence between three and four. So again, hopefully... Um, you appreciate the candor, the transparency. This is where we're at presently. Uh, we have no plans to change that or uh, move in any different direction. We've been doing this for, I've been saying the same exact thing for 22 years. My position has not changed and the way we've implemented it has not changed and uh, we don't have any plans to do that. And so hopefully uh, wherever you land on this issue, uh, you can appreciate the the, uh, the trickiness, right, of, of interpreting this, number one, and then maybe more importantly is, is implementing it, number two. And so um, if you have any questions, um, you have any concerns, please come talk to me, talk to one of our elders. Uh, we'd love to kind of just continue the dialogue about this, but just so you know, you're not going to get a dogmatic response out of us because we know we can't be dogmatic. Um, I could be wrong. In other words, that's what I'm saying. I could be wrong, and so could you, okay? So, um, hey, let's just live in harmony with one another. But what are the qualifications? Quickly, dignified, right? A woman must be dignified, looked up to by the other members of the church, well-respected because of their godly behavior, their faithful service. Uh, they're not malicious talkers, literally diabolos. We know what that means, who that is, right? Um, you don't want a diabolos deaconos, uh, because uh, that, that could be problematic, right? That's a slanderer. Um, and so they must guard against the temptation to gossip, to slander, uh, not to spread stories around the church intended to injure the reputation of others. I think this is very important because um, a woman could do tremendous damage to the church as her duties require her to circulate amongst the church, to serve many people, Phoebeing, right? In fact, just so you know, there's a couple of gals I've actually nicknamed Phoebe around here. I just say, hey, Phoebe, how's it going? Uh, that's my way of affirming them that, hey, what you're doing right now 
is blessing me. It's blessing this church because you're being a diakonos right now. You're being a minister, a servant like Phoebe. A temperate, sober in all things, exercises sound judgment, self-control, restraint, not self-indulgent, has mastery over their appetites, faithful in all things, trustworthy and honest, um, faithful in the matters entrusted to them, whether great or small, um, they're faithful to their husband, faithful to their family, faithful to Christ, faithful to the church. And then look at verse 13. I love this. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul was telling the deacons what they could expect as a reward for their faithful service. And he didn't promise them some thunderous applause or high visibility or they were going to get promoted to the position of an elder. That's not what's motivating a deacon. Those are all temporal rewards. The rewards Paul's talking about here are spiritual. And he, there's a twofold reward that deacons receive for serving well. Number one, it's good standing. In other words, they're a step above everyone else in the sense that people will consider them uh, more highly than the rest. They'll earn the respect and honor and appreciation of the congregation for their humble, selfless, Christ-like service. They'll have an excellent reputation in the church and community. And more importantly, they will be held in high esteem in the eyes of God. And he'll give them even greater opportunities for service. If you're faithful and little, God will entrust you with Greater things, Matthew 25, 23. So they'll have good standing, they'll have great confidence. In other words, faithful service as a deacon breeds assurance and confidence. When we live lives of integrity, God grants us the ability to speak and act with greater boldness. He grants us greater liberty um, to boldly witness to others, boldly approach them in prayer. Right? We're strengthened um, in our faith as we follow Christ's example of humble service, as we depend on him prayerfully, as we abide in him, as we sang earlier. And you think about Stephen and Philip, those were two of the original prototype deacons that were chosen in Acts chapter six. God advanced them to greater spheres of service. Stephen was the first martyr. And even um, Philip became a very effective evangelist. And so there you have the teaching, biblical teaching on deacons. Now, we did all that because of what we're about to do right now. And it brings me great joy to announce that all four of the men that we presented to you as candidates for the office of elder and deacon received your stamp of approval. Um, and so we now have the privilege of officially installing them uh, as part of our leadership team. And so I'm going to invite uh, these men up. Our candidate for elder is Chris DeLagula. And he was concerned he wasn't dressed for the occasion. I said, bro, you're a camp boy today. We get it. You're good. Um, and, uh, and then our three deacons, David Taylor, uh, come on up, Je Jesse Flewellen, and Jonathan Marsh. Come on up here, right down in the front, and I'm going to invite the other uh, elders and, uh, to come on up here, and we're just going to lay our hands on these guys and uh, pray for them and ask the Lord's blessing on their ministry, and then we'll be dismissed. So, 
So George, why don't you go ahead and grab that mic there and you can pray for Chris and then I think Rusty's going to pray for the, the deacons. Our Heavenly Father, this gives us great joy to put our hands upon this brother who has been gifted by you, not just in music, not just in lighting, not just in playing instruments, but gifted in the role of a shepherd as he has been shepherding so many people for, for these last almost seven years. So we praise you that you have given us this man to serve in this body, that you would be glorified through all of his work, all of his skills, but especially all of his love for the sheep that he is responsible for. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. Father, you have blessed us immeasurably by this thing we call the church. In your choice of leadership to, to be like a, a servant or a shepherd just baffles the world. We've got three men here that uh, have been found uh, beyond reproach that want to serve you by serve, serving yours. So I lift up Jesse and David and Jonathan and pray that you bless them with uh, just a desire, a um, the, your calling to, to serve you. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you and, and pray that they emulate Christ to those that they come in contact with. And we know with your help, that's exactly what will happen. So we, we love you, we love these men, and uh, we pray to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for being a part of this process. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, if you are visiting today, again, thank you so much for being here. Make sure you drop off your little card at the visitor center, and I look forward to meeting you here in just a few minutes. But uh, you guys have an awesome week. You're dismissed.